everyone, and welcome to the Book Lovers Movie Club. I am Kim. And I am Sarah. This week, we are going to be tackling two literary classics, Romeo Mm -hmm. and Juliet and Pride and Prejudice. I cannot uh, believe you just said Romeo and Juliet. I know, after all the pluses and ampersands, but let's keep it simple. I didn't want to piss you off. (laughs) (laughs) So our 1996 William Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet, and the 2005 Joe Wright um, Pride and Prejudice, otherwise known as the Kira Knightley version. That's right, um, the Kira Knightley version. That's right. So these are in keeping with our general February theme of like love, love and romance it's and like things, Valentine's Day sort of stuff. How do you feel about Valentine's Day? I don't know why I said Valentine's Day. That's not no. I thing. love it though. I love it. It's Valentine's Day. <laughs> it's Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. I really like Valentine's Day, even though I recognize that it's a bit of a bullshit holiday in some respects and. Um, The reason I like it is because all growing up, it was a holiday that was about, like, family, ironically, Mm. um, and not romance, really. It is nice, though. Yeah, it was really nice because my mom was always really great about celebrating, like, every holiday in some way. Um, There were going to be stickers or a little headband to wear. We called the, you know, the ones where they've got the little, um, like, uh, little springs and the bouncing antenna things. We call those dealy boppers for some reason. I don't know where my mom came up with that. <clears throat> Excuse my cough all through this recording. I am I'm recovering from the flu, so I may cough a bit. Another um, February tradition. Yes, exactly right. Um, <laughs> it really is. Uh, I had the flu in February um, in 2020. So hopefully oh. I won't, uh, like almost exactly the same time. Um, hopefully I will not get sick in this way for another four years at least because it was pretty awful. Anyway, back to Valentine's Day. <laughs> um, dealy boppers. Any any holiday was going to have some dealy boppers and some glittery stickers and a card and a little gift and maybe some cookies or something. Every holiday was going to have something. Um, and so we always got a little you know box of chocolates and a card, um, sometimes homemade and sometimes not, and a little... A little stuffy or something, a little pro, and it was just a nice little holiday where we got a little thing, and it was a happy, sweet little holiday, and the house was decorated with hearts and things. And it wasn't until much later in life that it became so fraught with like, no one wants to be my boyfriend, and having yeah. secret Valentines. Did you guys, your your school do this thing that mine did, where you could like buy a carnation for someone and have it delivered to them? And <clears throat> I'm aware of the tradition. Mm-hmm. I went to an all girls school. Oh, that's right. Okay. So, so in our school, in high no. school, I believe, I don't think it started in middle school. I think it was only in high school, but um, you could buy a carnation and then have it delivered, or you could take it and give it to them yourself. And you could do a white, a pink, or a red carnation. And white was meant to be like friendship, and red was love. I'm not sure what pink was exactly somewhere in between i don't know yeah. um maybe that you liked somebody or something anyway like so lots of, yeah so lots of people would buy these and give them to their like boyfriends or girlfriends or friends or secret like i'm your secret admirer and that sort of thing so that all became a whole like awful thing because you could see people carrying their flowers around and then people who didn't have flowers so boo awful hiss but um other than that, uh, <laughs> up until then, <laughs> up until then, I've always liked it. Um, and I like how um, 
I like that in grade school, all the kids give all the other kids a Valentine. And I think that's kind of nice. And that is kind of nice. And my kids um, have made have handmade their Valentines before. And this year we just I let them pick out the ones that they wanted to give. And um, so I think that's kind of nice. But I am 100 percent. I'm not in all, at all interested in trying to convince someone who doesn't like Valentine's Day that they should because there are plenty of legitimate reasons to hate it. I mean, I feel like I just, we didn't really have a major Valentine's Day thing in my house. I think my dad always got my mom like a balloon or some flowers. My mom mm-hmm. always got my dad one of those giant Hershey kisses. Yeah, yeah. That was what Valentine's Day was in my life until uh, – and I don't remember anything from like middle school being particularly upsetting one way or the other. But so I went to this all-girls high school. Mm-hmm. And um, on Valentine's Day, the floral, like the florist trucks would actually be out, like out causing traffic on the road because we had this like circle drive. Mm -hmm. You'd come to do deliveries and there would be so many that they'd be up all the way the long driveway and around the circle drive dropping off flowers all day. And so, yeah, it's like you would have we had this big announcement board in front of the office and it would say, like, you have something in the office. Come get it. On Valentine's Day, they had to move that (laughs) and like create like these like poster board um, extensions of that so that people would know they had flowers to come get. And um, for the first couple of years, that wasn't such a big deal. But then all of my friends got boyfriends. Yeah. And they were all getting flowers. And um I was not. And that was really not the funnest. But also, no. like, it just became this like thing, you know, like where Valentine's Day was not about school, it was about who's got flowers. Mm-hmm. And my, yeah. m- my junior year when everyone had boyfriends and I didn't, my best friend sent me um a Gerber Daisy. So I'd have something in the office and my name would be on the thing, which I loved. Aww. Um but my the only year in high school that I had a boyfriend on Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day fell on Saturday. Oh, boo. And so it was like, but, ah. I, you know, looking back, I, I don't remember how upset I actually was about it at the time. Yeah. But like as years went by, I remember looking back at it and being like, oh, that's so gross, though. Like it mm-hmm. turned the whole the whole day into this ridiculous like flower spectacle and there would be things like um i remember one year a girl in my class got competing flowers from two guys all day like oh my god um so like each of them had sent her like a reasonable size bouquet at the beginning of the day and by the end of the day like she had like seven bouquets because like the other guy would hear that the other guy had sent another bouquet and so they were sending more bouquets during the school day i'm we had cell phones i guess or like oh my god i don't know it was yeah it was bananas um and then uh, I told that story at like a, a meeting sometime at one of my jobs. And one of my lovely colleagues put together this like lovely Valentine's Day basket for me. And yeah. it was such a nice gesture. But then I remember thinking like, how upset did I sound? I didn't, oh, <laughs> I didn't actually mean to feel like I'm 100% traumatized. But this is, a, this is just one of the holidays that like I could just happily skip. Like we don't usually celebrate it. Yeah. This year, it's also Ash Wednesday. Mm. Um so we're just going to make cheese fondue and be like, look, you know, no meat uh, <laughs> and follow That's up with so chocolate funny. fondue, which is not exactly a Linton. Yeah, tradition. we're going to um, uh, we're just making some sugar cookies and the kids will decorate some cookies. That's and, nice. And yeah. They'll, My and kid has his them. box made for Valentine's. <laughs> it's decorated like a dragon because he Ugh. doesn't actually want to do pink and hearts we are thankfully not having to do those the kids make bags during the school day and i don't have to do anything um 
Eleanor had to do a, a box for Valentine's Day, like in kindergarten or something like that. Yeah. Then they've only done, they've just done bags during the school day. I well, am so he, happy about. <laughs> he, he designed and did the whole thing himself. He needed That's some help. Great. He refused to use glue for some reason. So it's a covered in tape. Um, <laughs> but he cut out a hole or I cut out a hole for him. That's the one thing I did. And he put teeth in it. So oh, <laughs> cute. Like putting like Valentine's into the dragon's mouth. Um, that's adorable. So that's, that's how, adorable. that's how Valentine's day goes around here. I, I literally that. forgot Valentine's the first year he was in a school. Um, I picked him up and the teacher was like, Oh, you know, here's the list of the kids names for Valentine's. And I was like, Oh, Shoot. that's tomorrow and mm-hmm. we were going to the grocery store anyway so i thought i'll just grab some valentines and we went to the grocery store and there were zero valentines to buy mm-hmm. and so then we just went home and i forgot again because it's oh, no. just not like yeah yeah front and center so um but since this episode was coming out is coming out the day before valentine's day i thought we should probably at least acknowledge yeah and, and for people who do love it i'm glad they love it i just and especially because february is such like a long and dreary month um i I think it makes sense to have something nice to look forward to but like Mm -hmm. for me it's just a non-issue have you ever celebrated galentine's day i don't think so yeah me (laughs) either to remember that because i saw some friends had done that this weekend and i was like oh that's nice um but it also just feels like an extra way to spend money on things like it does and i wish that we would just have a cultural shift for valentine's day to like including love of all kinds all kinds right it doesn't have to be really so a romantic it, partner I wish it wasn't just so focused on romantic love because for kids it isn't like yeah. when kids are little we talk they make valentine's for all their everybody. friends mm-hmm. and their teachers and everybody and then yeah. when you get a little bit older that somehow becomes like not a thing anymore and it seems a shame like yeah, should, I agree with that. If you're gonna celebrate love, then let's all let's do that forever. Um, I I agree with that. I think that that would be a nicer thing. I'd be more likely to take part. Yeah, but I mean, again, it's one of those things too, where it feels like Valentine's Day is almost weaponized. Yeah. Um, and so I don't blame people for hating it. Yeah. Um, for me, like it's just I, you know, there's a lot of holidays, and I don't care about all of them. Like I'm not mm-hmm. a huge fan of July, Fourth of July either, right? Like it's a sort of like the same thing where it's just like this is adding pressure to me as a parent <laughs> i don't i just wish fourth of like july was more like fourth of october so that i could enjoy I wish being of outside july was silent that would be i lived in places <laughs> with the 10 days of fireworks for too long yeah so at this point i know like you probably still experience like the 10 days of fireworks um i just can't the sound now just creates in me this rage just <laughs> you know incompatible with holiday spirit so it's true i wish there was a better uh, <laughs> way to celebrate saint patrick's day because you know, like- i like saint patrick's day because it's a low in my, in my experience it's like a low effort holiday throw something green on yeah but i wish there was something like see but like now sort of tradition or something to do other than see, but just there like, are like pinterest pinterest is here to tell you what you should be doing as a mom oh, um like gosh. you know putting okay. green green food coloring in the toilet so it's leprechaun pee and like oh, that's weird making their milk green when they make cereal in the morning it's like there's all these little like oh you know a scavenger hunt around the house using rollos to get them to the pot of gold i'm just like are you 
are you actually kidding me? <laughs> my my mom, when we were I'm going to throw remember, some green on him and call it a day. Like, I remember one time when I was little that my mom got like random rocks, like from a gravel driveway kind of thing and spray painted them gold and then scattered them around the yard for us to like go like an and Easter egg find. Hunt, but... Yeah, like an Easter egg hunt, but with like little gold nuggets and, you know. They were sparkly and pretty and gold and we loved it. And that was it. There was like no like if you get the most, you win this or whatever. We got a little right, um, just... gold coins or something um, for a little. Dealy boppers. Oh, I'm sure there were dealy boppers involved. Um, mm -hmm. But that was like the whole thing. It was just fun to go like hunt them and find them. And maybe leprechauns left to them, I think, probably, she said. Um, but that was fun. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that my kids would be into it so much because they are so much more spoiled than I was when I was a kid. Like they well, get say, stuff so much more than I did when I was little. So I, I feel like um, just every holiday being a thing is makes every holiday less special. Yes. Um, so we basically we don't really do Easter. Um, we do Halloween pretty big and we do Christmas because that's like the Christmas. Rules. Um, and I assume at some point we'll probably end up taking over Thanksgiving in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, otherwise I'm like, I, you know, those three in a row, it's a lot already. Yeah. I, the rest of the year could be low maintenance. That'd be great. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, I, I don't, like I said, I think Valentine's day, like I don't need flowers. I don't need cards, but we often do find ourselves doing something kind of fun to be like, you know, like a date night or something. Mm -hmm. Um, or we plan our lives for getting Valentine's Day exists. And then we like retroactively say happy Valentine's Day. Like, so this last weekend, um, we went to see the Princess Bride with the symphony. I saw that post. And I, so I bought the tickets for this like months ago. Mm -hmm. um, not even thinking about Valentine's Day at all. But I was like, what a lovely way to celebrate this holiday that neither of us care about. <laughs> so that is a great like way to do that. That's so much it fun. It was um, 100% fun. I was like, what's going to be so special about hearing the music played live? Um, but it was actually really neat. And there were funny things this in particular because of the way the music is like cued to the framing device uh-huh yeah yeah it would be like right in the middle of this really beautiful song and then the kid interrupts and the music just had to stop that's so and funny watching a symphony just come to a dead stop is really funny actually that's great um, yeah so next year they're doing back to the future and star uh, wars oh fun yeah. back so, to the future way more than star wars for me i am not a star wars person either yeah. um but I feel like the music from Star Wars probably justifies. Yeah, I would go listen to a symphony play the music from Star Wars. I would do yeah. that. But Might do I pay have more to attention the to movie? the symphony than the movie. But, um, but yeah, it was like, that's a lovely way to spend a weekend. We'll just call that Valentine's Day. That's awesome. Yeah. So. So speaking of movies and seeing them um, in a theater, I have a tragedy to report. Oh, no. Um, okay. So. It's only a personal tragedy. Um, <laughs> it's only just for me. It's a very small to... personal tragedy, but I think you will understand. I'm still prepared to be upset for you. Okay. So there's one movie in the past year that I have been dying to see, which is Poor Things. Mm -hmm. But I live in this little place where movies like that generally do not come to our one movie theater. It did, though. Guess what showed up in the movie theater this past the week? week that, oh. The week I had the flu. It was oh, in. And it's gone already? And it's gone. Yep. It was in our theater for one week, the week I had the flu. 
I'm legitimately super sad for you. I'm really sorry. Personal tragedy, legit. I was so, I was like, oh my gosh, look at that. I saw on Thursday, uh, whenever that was, not this past Thursday, but the Thursday before, I saw that it was going to be in the theater and I was like, I'm going to get a babysitter for this weekend. And then I woke up on Friday, very sick. And I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> Shake your fist to the sky. And then all oh. week I was like trying to check to see like, okay, is it still going to be in like this coming weekend? And like they won't update until right. like day for what's going to be there unless it's a movie that's going to they already know it's going to be there for weeks because it's the big blockbuster summer thing or whatever so it wasn't giving me any updates and finally on like thursday i saw that it was not there anymore so sad I'm so sorry i know and it's getting to the point where i'm not sure if it's going to stream before the Oscars i have no happen. idea what's taking so long almost everything else is streaming yeah um, i mean at least to rent yeah well zone of interest still isn't um yes, available that's to stream. Right. I feel like um, there was one other thing. American fiction just came out to stream. But it's Although still like twenty five dollars to rent. Yeah, I'm actually gonna so, go see that in theaters. It's gonna be much cheaper. Yeah, American um, fiction was in, American fiction was in my movie theater too for one week. Also gone. So so our theater uh, so Cinemark, I think this is like a nationwide thing they're doing, is doing this week in March where they're bringing all of the best picture movies back to theaters for oh, a that's week. That's so great. But they're doing it for like each day there's like two. Right. Um, so your choices, your options are super duper limited. Um, but zone of interest is actually still at my local theater. Oh, so wow. um, if I don't get to see it this week, it, um, it's on my schedule for March. So it I read a thing about zone of interest and in the sound design for the movie, hmm. which you should look up and read more about. But um, it's doing this thing. OK, there are two tracks two soundtracks for the movie one is the um dialogue mm -hmm. and i think one is all of the diage diegetic sound right so okay. like the dialogue or the dialogue and things that are you know plates clanking if people are eating and whatever that sort of thing i can't remember if the music is on that track and then there's a second track behind it which is the sounds from the concentration camp Oh. and trains and things and it's played it's a, played as a separate track and it's always in the background and the people who are on the screen the family that like lives in the nice house next to the concentration camp doesn't ever respond to that other soundtrack they can't That's hear it the, the actors can't hear it right because it's played it was laid on over top and so it creates this like really unsettling strange kind of effect because sometimes you hear screaming but you can't tell if it's like a child screaming happily or something terrible happening in the concentration camp or there's a train whistle and you can't quite tell if that was a train whistle or if that was a scream and there's and it's always there and that's interesting isn't that interesting and the way that it was designed the um the sound designer knew that most people would be watching it at home and not in I was theater. just about to say, like, is that does that mean the theater is going to be a different or a better experience? Or? I believe that they had so the options are to have the sound come. Um, I I don't remember the 
the exact terms, but the way that the theaters can do now where they have certain sounds come from certain speakers, mm -hmm. right? So it surrounds you and you have certain things coming from the left or the right or up front or behind. Um, and they can even do things like an airplane is going overhead and you over hear your head, yeah, ahead of you, right? Um, and he thought he like originally was planning to do the sound that way and then decided that that was more intrusive than he wanted it to be. And so now all the sound comes from the front. And so in the theater, it will come from the front okay. um, just the way that it would at home. Cause he's oh. like, people are watching on their TVs or sound bars and the sound's likely going to be coming yeah. from the front. Um, and so he wanted the experience to be the same, but also there was just something about it being completely surrounding you that he was like, that was, it was not doing what he wanted. Anyway, it was fascinating to read about it. Yeah, I think that sounds really interesting. Anyway, um, and, and I guess the other thing we should mention is that we've been reading our book for this month, yeah. you and I. Yes. So we're going to get ready to talk about the marriage plot in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and I know that um, we're both really enjoying it. There's lots of um, little kind of insider tidbits if you have spent any time in like academia <laughs> at <Yeah>. all, <laughs> um, which is fun. Um, but I don't think necessary um, if you have not spent time in academia. I think there's still plenty there prepared for, you. for very, very nerdy jokes. Yes. For sure. so I, yeah. Some nerdy jokes and some references that might um, slip past you if you are not from an academic background. But I think that's still fine. Um, um. But yeah, it's one of those books that tackles um, in various ways lots of other books. So I feel like mm -hmm. it's a good segue into our movies this week, which are adaptations yes. Yes. of books yes. that you were probably forced to read in high yeah. school. Classic literature and also a nice little <laughs> comedy tragedy pairing. Yeah, it's good. They, they um, mm -hmm. complement each other in yes. interesting ways. Yes, they do. So we'll start with the 1996 uh, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo plus Juliet. William Shakespeare's <laughs> Romeo plus Juliet. Plus Juliet. Right. Which is <laughs> Baz Luhrmann all over the place. Okay. Uh, yes. I mean, it's not even peak Baz Luhrmann, though. Like, it's just setting us up for what Baz Luhrmann would do when he got to do Moulin Rouge, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It it's feels less, pretty peak to it's me. It's less frantic. Slightly. Is it? Okay. I think so. I want to hear But I am partial because I love this movie too much do we do we need a plot synopsis for i feel Juliet? like probably not i feel like okay. people probably do know most of our yeah and uh, it doesn't follow the play here. precisely right there are right? a few changes there are a few changes um from the play to the film um but not anything that like changes the story in any fundamental way right um some of the oops sorry about my Bump my mic there. Um, <laughs> some of the characters' roles are are slightly different. Like they still play the same kind of part, but like the the prince is not a prince; he is the chief of right, police. Right, he's the senator's. Sort of yeah. Oh, right. And Dave uh, Paris is not a count; he's like the senator's son. Right. So, in updating um, the story, some of the characters, um, like who they are within the world of the movie, is slightly different, but. Um, the, well, all the, all the basic beats are still there. I just remember when this movie came out, um, the, the sheer amount of discourse there was around the like modern day setting mm -hmm. Shakespearean language. Like, I guess it must have been 
one of the sort of most standout examples of this. I'm sure it wasn't mm-hmm. by any means the first Shakespeare adaptation to to kind of try this combo. Yeah, well, I'm trying to think in film what others there have been because okay, um to use the Shakespearean language because there've been plenty of adaptations of Shakespeare to film that have um, and other classic literature to film right. that have taken the basic story and totally updated it and not made explicit reference to the original text. Right. But an updated, like a modernized Shakespeare that kept the Shakespearean language, there aren't that many in film. But of course, in theater, people have been doing that forever. Right, um, exactly. So... Like, if you have any awareness of, like, what theater does with Shakespeare, this is not, like, a shocking thing. But um, if you're a teenager and you haven't, you know, read a bunch of Shakespeare or seen a bunch of Shakespeare and suddenly there are these actors you know in this very modern setting with modern music, but the language is still Shakespearean language, it's going to feel very new. Um, Yeah. And I know it did for me. It did for me, for sure. And I was a kid who was seeing Shakespeare plays. Me too. Semi-regularly. Mm-hmm. Reading Shakespeare uh, and doing theater and being aware of those things. And I was like 19, 20 when it came out. So I wasn't like a kid um, in that way. But it still felt very new to me. And I think the music is a huge part of it. So I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about the music. But um, I think, you know, looking back. And so we were talking about this just a little bit before we started recording. Like I remember the day this movie came out. Yeah. Um, because my friends and I were out of school. So we planned, we were like, we're going to go see Romeo and Juliet the day it comes out. Um, and so we were in the theaters opening day and I was just obsessed. I became completely, and I feel like to this day, when I watch this movie, it's my 16 year old self that's watching this movie. Yeah. Like I have a really hard time gaining any kind of critical distance oh, yeah. from this movie. Oh yeah. Um, to the point where I once used it in a film class. I've used pieces of it in film classes a lot because mm-hmm. Baz Luhrmann's super, he's like the great Gatsby of film stuff, right? Where yeah. it's like, do you want to know what a symbol is? Look at these eyes on the yes, billboard, right? I like, know. <laughs> um, Luhrmann's so unsubtle that it's like, you cannot miss the way sound is working in this scene, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, but when it came to using the whole movie, I used it exactly one time. And my students told me it was boring and I was so upset. Oh my I was God. like, what? <laughs> it's what? How boring. Um, because when, when I watched this in theaters, this was like an exhilarating, like heart pounding yeah. experience. And oh, I so still sad. can't hear certain music without being like immediately transported back to this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, a, it's just like such a high school teenage like obsession for me um that it's hard to like look at it now and be like okay but how good is it (laughs) yeah I know I was having that last night when I was watching this um and it's been quite a while since I'd seen it but you know it's it felt all very very familiar right so Mm -hmm. I hadn't forgotten any of it um and yeah I was having these moments where I was like this is I mean it's so much right and Mm -hmm. I'm and I love how very much it is how over the top it is um particularly in its comedic moments 
um, because I feel like it's really keeping in the classic tradition of Shakespeare in that way to be so over the top with the classic with the comedy like um, like the the fight in the gas station parking lot um, yeah, immediately it's, comes it's... to mind when the woman's hitting the guy on, on the head with the purse <laughs> and it's all very like her, her. it's very very slapstick um, clowny right mm-hmm. which it would have been on yeah. stage to keep everybody's interest you know the the comedic um uh re- the comedy the comedic relief what is the word i'm looking for the comic relief there Com- the comic words. relief <laughs> the comic relief had to be really big right yeah. it was there to pull your audience back in if they had begun to like drift off as they're standing in a mass of stinky smelly sweaty people watching this play for two hours all right that was a lot of romance that was a lot of you know whatever there was a lot of talking now let's give them a you know a bit with the dog right um yeah. a little bit of comedy um so i really feel like the movie celebrates that kind mm-hmm. of idea really really beautifully um and I do think, but what it's a lot. Lerman, yeah, what Baz Luhrmann really like his goal was to make this accessible in a way that that is like we're saying, like this is how Shakespeare was meant to be experienced, right? Mm-hmm. Shakespeare was meant to be for wide audiences, right? Um, and so by not changing the language, he's thinking about how do I ensure that your audience is still getting the meaning and you know very few of them are speaking in iambic pentameter which is fine right. yeah basically only basically only the priest right yep. like is mm-hmm. actually consistently speaking um and th- certainly there are lines where you're like did that person totally understand what they were saying in that particular moment but like yeah Claire Danes in particular I think does a really good job with it oh yeah um where you feel like she read and understood the play mm-hmm. and had a sense of how teenagers talk Yes. And managed to do this like really beautiful. And she is allowed to be things. so like subtle and quiet in her She's performance. She's such a good Juliet. Compared to like the rest of the big like bombastic mm-hmm. performances that you see in Absolutely. the rest of the play. Um, yeah, she's a beautiful Juliet um, in in every way. Um, sorry, I feel like I interrupted you. but No, you didn't. You're totally fine. And I think especially thinking about casting, she had just come off of My So-Called Life, mm. which, you know, rest in peace. I know. My So-Called Life, um, which had shown what kind of like subtlety she could could really do as a young actress. Yeah. She was like 16, maybe yeah. 17. Um, uh, whereas Leonardo DiCaprio like had had, he'd already been nominated for his first Oscar by this point. But he wasn't. Uh, what's eating Gilbert, Gilbert Grape? Grape? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not long before this, but yes. Um, yeah. And he he had to kind of like talk the studio into him, which I think is fascinating because yeah. looking back, this is just before Titanic. Mm-hmm. He was already like a heartthrob. Like he was yeah. on Teen Beat, right? Like he was going to be. Well, he was on Growing Pains that, and people knew who he yes. was from Growing people Pains. People were going to recognize him yeah. and, and girls in particularly, like people who were attracted to Leonardo DiCaprio were going to be very excited to see him as Romeo. Yes. Um, But the two of them, once they have that pairing, like they they have that lovely chemistry together. Um, But the rest of the cast is really fascinating. Mm hmm. When you look at, especially this is so 90s, well, so 20th century, really. Um, the idea that Lurman decides that the Capulets are Latino mm-hmm. and they filmed in Mexico. Yeah. But like Claire Danes is not. No. 
Uh, Pulse Ravino was not. (laughs) And Pulse Ravino adopts this terrible accent. But it's not uncommon. Like, this is a big Hollywood thing throughout the 20th century to cast uh, Latino actors as Italian and vice versa. Like, like Jennifer Lopez has played Italian at least twice, Mm -hmm. even into the 21st century. Like, that's still a very problematic thing that keeps happening. Um, But because of that, you end up with these, like, very kind of over-the-top... Pulse Ravino is the worst. Uh, sort of accents and performances to kind of distinguish the Capulets from the Montagues and to do the sort of updated like 1990s gang war sort of framing for the boys. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Which gets um, interesting. I think it's interesting too. And there are lots of interesting accent choices in um, yeah. <laughs> in the movie. And then, you know, John Leguizamo just with his um, his own voice is like just the voice i don't know what i want what i want to say about that but just like the different the wide variety of voices we have Mm -hmm. delivering these lines by shakespeare is kind of interesting because john leguizamo's voice is is super weird right it's a weird voice it's an unusual very distinctive yeah it's very gravelly and Mm -hmm. um like like high pitched uh uh-huh yeah uh, yep um high pitched at the same time oh. um like he's always clinching his teeth right yes. and he's he's how ex- it sounds like. i would say he's an excellent tybalt for the exact amount of like melodrama and too mm-hmm. bigness that he brings to basically everything he does yes yeah um, um but like juliet's mom's got this weird southern accent that yes, she's what doing. is that about i don't know i mean she's just this kind of like exasperated kind of diva so the idea that she is and she's kind of obsessed with her daughter and who she's gonna marry and so the idea of having her be like hooking up with her husband's nephew which yeah it makes sort of implicit and the movie's like nope nope right like let's have them make out at this party it'll be fun it's like she's a character like if this was a southern gothic film yeah right what would that look like and she's pulled straight out of that before i finally realized that was not jessica lang Oh, she does um, look very much like she, her. I was like, oh, look, it's that lady from Romeo and Juliet the first time I saw Jessica Lange and something else. No, uh, no not at all. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's fascinating that we have this sort of attempt because a lot of updated Romeo and Juliets are like, where can we put it that will make sense to a modern audience? And so mm-hmm. you'll see like Civil War Romeo and Juliets are not uncommon. Like that's a pretty frequent take. Like, right, North and South, right. North and South. Sense. And so... Um, the same kind of impulse here like how can we but i like the update to the two the two families being corporations yeah more than i like the update to the two groups of teenage boys being gangs yes i do too um and the idea that like there these are families are kind of like competing corporate entities and so mm-hmm everyone is a part of that kind of machine a la succession or something makes uh yes makes a bit of sense right like the gangs kind of came about um as a result of like everybody in this family and their friends all works for this company and right yeah under the the head honcho that makes a, a level of sense i think yeah. but um but yeah the corporation angle is much more interesting than the gang angle absolutely i agree um but to um, update the, you have to, there's too much weaponry involved in this play <laughs> you gotta give them weapons somehow that makes it's sense, true right it is so, it's true i think it's more the sense of like um how these young men 
are sort of posturing. And ultimately, I think both sets of young men are kind of skewered for being essentially spoiled rich boys who mm-hmm. have too much time on their hands and keep picking fights that kill people. Yeah. Um, so it's, it keeps that that aspect, which is very much you know true to the play, that we're dealing with with stupid teenagers making bad children decisions. making bad decisions. Right. Right. Um, it's just in this case they're carrying guns, and mm-hmm. for some reason the Capulets are all wearing like Dolce and Gabbana or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but I think that watching this movie this time the part of me that wasn't just like so, so happy because it was on my TV again was like, you know, I think that what I really responded to was that the movie um, takes very seriously Romeo and Juliet's chemistry Mm -hmm. and like the idea of like immediate connection without a hundred percent buying into the idea that this is like a good plan. Right. Like sometimes we talk about Romeo and Juliet, like, it's an unquestionably romantic story and we should just all buy in to the idea of love at first sight Mm -hmm. um, and how important it is to like follow your passion and that the person that you love can overcome all this other stuff. I don't think the movie is like, this is fine. What a great idea. Like we're never allowed to forget that they're children, like that they are 16 years old. Partly because they cast people who actually either were or close to the right age for this. I think Mm-hmm. I think DiCaprio is like 21. But he looks um, so baby faced. But he was such a baby faced, exactly. Yeah. Um, and like often you're seeing them in like really natural light yeah. or like underwater. So it's really emphasizing their youthfulness. And when she like walks down the aisle to get married, you're like, that. You're a baby. You are so incorrect. Bad choice. <laughs> let's let's rethink. Like, um, and I think that that's why that movie, like, the movie isn't like pandering to a, a teenager's idea of love, mm-hmm. even though I would say like in the moment where they, like he dies, right? Like she wakes up right as he dies. <sighs> it definitely is like, but you can wish. <laughs> for oh my second. God. Okay. So <laughs> we just got to head all the way to the end of the movie. Sorry. For the end of the movie and everyone should know. And I, okay. We're not spoiler alerting Romeo. Yeah, I think you can, God's I sake. think you can be expected. They die to at the end. Yeah. Um, but you know what? They tell you that at the very beginning anyway. It's true. So, yeah. It's not like um, the, the story is unclear. They die um, at the end, <laughs> but in the play, in the play, um, Juliet has taken the 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 stuff the draft, that makes her the, fall asleep, yeah. right? Um, and um, Romeo doesn't know this, thinks that she's dead, and he kills himself with the poison. He is dead when she wakes up and sees yes. him there, and is like, "Oh my God, you drank all this poison, and you didn't leave any for me." And then she kills herself with his dagger. Okay, right. I think the choice to have him wake up or to have her wake up. And him see her right before is beautiful. I, I love it. I don't. I don't know how many times I saw this movie before mm-hmm. I was able to watch that scene without becoming almost hysterical. Like I was crying. I was crying last night when I saw yeah, it, and I know like, it's coming. I know. I cry still, but like course, in the and theater the first time, crying. I think I was like hyperventilating i was like i know it was so i mean and it's a beautiful scene because it's it's playing with all of the aesthetics of baz luhrmann's movies right there's like neon crosses but there's also these beautiful Mm -hmm. white flowers everywhere and and they're in this old church 
yeah so it's kind of all the so things much are coming play. together yeah so much like play uh, between like hyper modern and like tacky right yeah. very garish kind of imagery and very soft beautiful classic romantic um mm -hmm. imagery and kind of iconography throughout and it's really kind of beautiful the way that those things are put together um in so many moments in in the movie but yeah that moment where they're they're just like enshrouded in this light in this yeah. glow and they're like in this tiny little bubble that's just the two of them and it's like you see these other bubbles like when they're in that want they're in the party and it's crazy but then they're in this one quiet space with the fish tank and then they're in the elevator and it's just them and then they're under the covers and they're like covered up in this beautiful light and then yeah. in their in death there they are in that little bubble together again and they both die like within you know moments of each other and it's so yeah. tragic and beautiful um and i really th i think like what a great choice. Shakespeare would have approved, I think. Yes, I um, agree with that actually. Because a lot of the a lot of the way that people who dislike this movie when it first came out, and I think even to this day, the discourse around it, is this idea that it's somehow like disrespectful to Shakespeare or like it misses the point of Shakespeare. Oh, for goodness sake. No, it does not. And I actually think that this is one of the best adaptations of Shakespeare. And I know that I'm saying that from the perspective of someone who has loved this movie for fully 30 years or almost 30 years. But I and also because Baz Luhrmann is not somebody who I necessarily think is a genius who always gets everything right no he certainly um, does not always get anything right in <clears throat> australia I think this is a yes i think this is a very good pairing of material and director mm -hmm. and a case where we have a director who was like i can see what we can do with this and and but is also still playing is also still trying stuff out mm -hmm. um because like you said like there's that consistent sense of like romeo and juliet when it's just the two of them Mm -hmm. they are all you can see but also like the aesthetics and the the music is played with in very similar ways right because yeah. like for most of the movie we have this very 90s soundtrack a lot of the songs written for this mm -hmm. right like Desiree wrote Kissing You for this um uh Radiohead wrote Exit Music for a film for this mm. yeah okay um but when when they're dying the death the scene in the beer um yeah. that music is from tristan and his old and i Ooh. i assume an opera but i'd have to look that up I but he chose right. like classic music the same death scene um oh, wow very unlikely like i had to i had to read that like i didn't know that like i'm not no. going to bring that knowledge to a movie at 16 no. or at mm -hmm. 44 but um but there's that sense that like he knows this material and he mm -hmm. knows its history. He knows how it's been done. Um, he's counting on teenagers having encountered this story before and knowing how it's supposed to work. Um, I don't know. I just think it's a, it's a really beautiful match. Cause like I said, not everything Lorman does hits. Um, yeah. But this one, it just feels like questionable nineties, handling of race aside knowledge yeah um everything works right like it, the uh -huh. characters make sense they function the way that you expect the set of people to function in a 90s context i agree so. um and you know i think it's really kind of funny when people get 
upset that people are not taking Shakespeare seriously. <laughs> right. That, like you're being disrespectful. It's like I I mean he can I feel it, like he can, get can it. take it. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about we're talking about texts that have survived, outlasted 98% of everything else that, that came out. Yeah. It's going to be um, all right. It's going to be all right. We can tear it apart yes. and put it back together in all sorts of ways. And it's still going to be there. It's, it's going to survive. Um, right. it, well, and I, I think there's the opposite <laughs> thing is this very patronizing thing where it's like, oh, thank God we have some Shakespeare that kids will get as yeah. though we haven't been forcing Shakespeare on high schoolers for decades, centuries. Right. Um, and this is the one that everyone's like, this is the one for kids. This one in like Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. Both of which are messed up representations of romance, right? They like are. They're they treated are. as straightforward yeah. love stories, which is often what happens. Then yeah. you're leaving like uh, generations of 16 year olds who are like tragic love, right? And I actually do think this movie is not 100% like, do follow the example of these hot teenage kids. Like they're I like, know. yeah, they're going to end up dead though. It's not great. No, it's um, not great. But I mean, you can't help but be pulled in. Um, yes, and absolutely. Like, I had this really, sh I'm going to struggle to articulate this experience, I think. And this is going to sound perhaps slightly weird. But when I started watching this movie um, last night, particularly once we had um, Leo and Claire on screen together, I was like, so sad. Like immediately when I saw them together, they're so beautiful and so young. And I there was there was something happening beyond the text of this film and this play that was going on in my brain, watching them on screen together and thinking about like I'm sure that it has something to do with being about that same age when I was gonna say our own out. aging. Yeah. Right. And that like they don't look like that anymore, which is fine, of course. It's wonderful. But look how young and beautiful they are in this. And like that they die at the end felt somehow <laughs> like <laughs> symbolic on an extra textural, extra textural, what? No, <laughs> extra textual <laughs> level in some weird way. But it was like there was something even more about lost youth happening in my brain when you know, i was watching this and that's 100%. not what the movie is about that's not what the text is about the text is about lost potential yes and, but... and the idea like this is the 90s movie i can think of yes um and so of course for us as 90s kids it's going to have like that immediate but there's also the sense of like the 90s was a very specific pre 9-11 moment, a very mm. specific like, I mean, it's not like nothing bad happened in the 90s. But as teenagers, we were, I think, largely kind of protected from most of the worst stuff of the 90s, at least mm. in the kind of lives that that. I and I think to some extent you were like pretty privileged to live right like no one yep. I knew was dying in Iraq right like um right. yeah and and I think that it is a little bit of a time capsule moment to mm -hmm. go back to it and feel like I did when I was 16 when everything seemed possible and yeah maybe there's like, some sort of lost innocence that is yeah. overlapping like real life and the text that's happening because you know if you know Romeo and Juliet at all if you've seen the movie before whatever you see them 
in what I think is a very effective pairing in a beautiful and somehow believable meeting between these two people where they see each other it's and five seconds later they're like kissing and in love um, air aquarium eye contact and that's all it took but you yeah. like they're so both of them are i feel like so pitch perfect in that scene and then in the couple of scenes right after that where they're first meeting each other like actually speaking to each other that you buy it like you believe yeah. in this and it's so and you beautiful, but you know they're going <laughs> to die. And you're like, you see this beautiful, perfect thing that could be yeah. so wonderful. But you know, in a couple of days, they're both dead. Yeah. And it's so sad immediately. Anyway, I don't know. I was having all sorts of like. No, I feel like that makes overlapping sense. Like, emotions. This is emotional relationship with this movie that is different from the actual movie. Like it's it's to yeah. some extent separate from. Yeah. Um, but I also think that that's, you know, I, I'm i not like a massive Shakespeare fan, but I love a, sh- a Shakespeare adaptation. Like mm-hmm. I am always on board with an update or a modernization of a Shakespeare yes. play. I will see them all. Um, this one was like my one of my favorite movies of the 90s. And then uh, a few years later, 10 Things I Hate About You came out. Yeah. And that like was right there with it. Although obviously a very different vibe, right? Like yeah. it does, yeah. like, very takes a very different aesthetic approach. Um and of course, it's dealing exclusively with comedy. But like, I love this concept of the updated, mm-hmm. modernized, what can we do with this material? Shakespeare works as like sort of malleable stuff to me. Right. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I really like and appreciate about this movie is that I feel like it helps to set me up to understand things about Shakespeare later when I would take Shakespeare classes in college. One of those is the experience the understanding that some characters in Shakespeare are queer. And I I don't think I was sitting in the movie theater at 16, looking at Mercutio thinking he's in love with Romeo. But I think as a grown up watching that movie, I'm like, man, they really threaded the needle with this portrayal because he, obviously he's in drag for the, for the party. um, But the the film's not suggesting he's a drag queen, right? Like it's a, it's a costume party everybody's mm-hmm. in costumes yes um and in fact harold perino who plays mercutio has talked about how they actually saw that as like what's the most secure masculinity how's that going to manifest for this group of people mm-hmm. um and he just commits 100 percent um but the idea that mercutio's love for romeo is romantic is present in this movie yes and i don't think that i had ever had anyone talk about shakespeare as anything but like traditional boy meets girl mm-hmm. like even thinking about the casting of Shakespeare this should have been something we were like engaging mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but we were also reading plays that were a little bit safer I think in that regard like I read I actually never read Romeo and Juliet for school mm-hmm. I read um The Taming of the Shrew and like I don't even remember I read Hamlet one year um but like when you watch Twelfth Night, right? Like there's a whole bunch of things about Shakespeare and gender that you're like, huh. And this movie, I think, really helped to set up for me an approach to watching Shakespeare that was aware of readings and aware of the the sort of way interpretation works and the way our assumptions shape what we're watching or how yeah. we respond to what we're watching. And I think this performance is Mercutio. For one thing, I think he's 
I think he's fabulous. Like I think yes. he's uh, you're watching him when he's on screen. Like he's such a magnetic performer. Mm-hmm, um, absolutely. Yeah. And he, and he balances, he brings something to Romeo. He brings Romeo out of himself. Like we see the two of them having chemistry, even though they have very few scenes together. Um, but I think it's changed how I was like aware of things that you could do with Shakespeare or the aware of things that Shakespeare was doing. Right? Yes. Like mm-hmm. this is some, this is the sort of um, cultural preparation or like having this awareness of the way of that things work with adaptation that you don't realize you're learning, but that's what was happening. Yeah. Because and, I watched this movie and, and yeah. saw these things on screen. Yeah, I agree. And taking these ideas that feel maybe more modern, right? Mm-hmm. The idea of a queer character feels like maybe that's a modern idea and showing that, no, it isn't. It's been right. a we thing forever, yeah. right? Um, and that the treatment of and the representation of a queer character is going to be different in different time periods and genres and all mm-hmm. of the authors and all of that stuff. Um, but it's not a new idea, right? It's a thing that has been um, perhaps coded in different ways or um, perhaps um, like if you if you think about the way that a queer character comes across on the page in Shakespeare, you could easily just miss it unless mm-hmm. you were very attuned to like um, the nuance of language and the way that Shakespeare was using puns and things like that because so often, you know, queerness is, shows up in Shakespeare in these like body sexual kinds of puns and you get these like little clues. But there's so much opportunity when it's performed to highlight those things. Um, and so if you're reading a play <clears throat> as a you know junior in high school and you're not seeing it performed, you would have to the teacher would have to point those things out to you. Right. Because mm-hmm. you're not likely to catch it. But when you see them on screen, it highlights that, like, these are characters that have been here forever, right? And so um, this is not just a modern interpretation that people are doing. Let's look at the language. So I love that as a kind of gateway um, to having those conversations. And then, you know, you read Hamlet later, and then maybe you notice, oh, wait, Horatio is in love with Hamlet. Right? <laughs> I mean, for me, I, I definitely remember encountering Twelfth Night and being like, man, what is Antonio's deal? And then being like, right. oh, right. <laughs> Um, And I just think that's part of why I love adaptation. And of course, we chose two adaptations and I'm just like, yay, adaptations. Um, Mm -hmm. But I love the idea that, you know, as long as we're aware that it's somebody's interpretation, right? The the actor's interpretation, the director's interpretation. um, We don't necessarily have to see like, that's how I read this text. Mm -hmm. But being open to the the possibility of these readings, recognizing that these readings are possible or thinking about like, is is something about this reading not working for me? Does it actually in some ways like misinterpret what I understand Mm -hmm. about the text? And all of that is useful. Like being prepared to engage with the things you're reading and watching adaptation really primes you for that i think like it gives you space to be like oh they got that wrong and then you're suddenly you're making an academic argument like what like it's amazing (laughs) right yeah um well i have like three little pieces of trivia for this one yeah okay and i think they're fun okay but also like again obsessed with this movie like when you asked when did this movie come out you were like oh sometime 1996 and i'm like november 1st so like obviously i've got like (laughs) some of this this in your back pocket yeah. yeah, I actually did just learn um, one of these things yesterday. So I think it was really fascinating. So um, speaking of Mercutio, mm. they actually brought in a magician to teach Harold Perrineau, Perrineau, 
um, some magic tricks, most of which didn't make it into the movie. But right? the scene with the pill. Yeah. Where he has the pill on his, on his finger and then he makes the and little, little vial and it goes away. Who was the magician that they brought in to teach him? Keeping in mind that it's the 90s. Okay. Then it's got to be David Copperfield. Different David. You're super close. Blaine? Yeah, David Blaine was a consultant on this movie. I knew <laughs> I that magician from the nineties. Because I have always been fascinated by the fact that the pill is just like hanging on to his finger. Mm, um, yeah, and that's a really fun little scene. But yeah, apparently they did like card tricks and a lot of sleight of hand. And the idea was that Mercutio is this like performer, and he yes. would have these kind of skills at his disposal. And they ended up cutting any of the other magic tricks. But oh, that's I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's really like, cool. Oh. All right. Um, there was a very famous actor who wanted to play Friar Lawrence before they cast Pete Postlewaite, who I can't imagine anyone being better than, to be honest. His oh, voice he's so is wonderful. Amazing. Um, and he is like Shakespearean. Like he brings so much gravitas. To he the movie. is the only thing I like about the movie James and the Giant Peach. Wow. That's that movie drives me nuts for some reason. It was like one of my very favorite books when I was a kid. But there's it's something about the movie that I don't like. Um. Huh. But uh, he's wonderful in it. Um, he's wonderful. His voice is amazing. Yes. Just keep talking. Um, okay. Um, Who would it be? Who would it be? Who would it be? Kenneth Branagh? Oh, no, though. That would have been interesting. No, Kenneth Branagh still thought he was young enough to play Hamlet at this point. So oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> older, older actor. Think older. Think somebody who would have been like bigger in the middle of the 20th century. Uh, I got nothing. Tell me who it is. Marlon Brando. Shut up. Can you imagine? No. He, he wanted it. He he was like basically cast. Uh, and then his son got arrested for manslaughter. Oh. Went down a whole interesting rabbit hole yesterday trying to figure out the details of that situation. I have um, never heard about that. So for another time, let's talk yeah, about that. His, but he had to step away for personal reasons. Oh my uh, God. And that's when they cast Pete Postlewaite, who I thought is just such a natural fit for that role thank goodness and like i said he's like the only one who's speaking in iambic pentameter <laughs> so like of course his delivery is going to be so different from brando's and thank goodness right. for that we have what we have and not brando's mush mouth delivery mm -hmm. that would have happened but also he has to have a level of kind of like warmth and empathy yes to and like to drive home the gravity of what's happening here when yes. Romeo doesn't get the letter and he agrees to marry them and like why this is like he's yeah, not like, just some bureaucratic go-between he's a truly like a father figure like, and Brando would never pull that off also fascinating uh, reading about this apparently Brando uh, had seen what's eating Gilbert Grape uh-huh and did not realize that Leonardo DiCaprio was acting so he made comments about the casting of Leonardo DiCaprio in Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Dude. All right. <laughs> Suggesting that he did not think that Leonardo DiCaprio would be able to was, like was going to be able to, yeah. to handle this performance, which I oh, think gosh. is just okay. telling. I'm like, well, that would have been that would have been fun on set. Oh, All right. So gosh. yeah, those are and so the last one I have is more of like an English word sort of thing, but I actually didn't realize this because okay. I didn't read this play. There's at least one character who dies in the play but survives the movie. Paris. I honestly was like, Paris dies in the play? I had mm -hmm. no idea. Yeah. Because I didn't have to read this play. I'm actually, now that I'm saying this out loud, not 100% sure that I have ever read this play. Okay. Well, I mean, that's I've already. seen it so many times yeah. that I should still have known that Paris died. 
Yeah, I remember usually the doesn't make much of an impact. I don't remember exactly how it happens though. Just like, like he goes like um by himself to to the grave to cry over Juliet. Oh, and, like, okay, yes. And then Romeo shows up and really, is like, mm, get out. And they get that's right. I remember that. Um, yes, there's a confrontation. Yeah, I forgot about the confrontation. I just remembered that he died, and like, do you think they just looked at Paul Rudd and they were like, "Who kills okay. Paul Rudd? You didn't do that." <laughs> they were just like, "Never mind." You're who fine. incidentally well, does still look like that. Anyway, uh-huh. yeah, it's, it's not. Wild. I actually saw a picture of him and his kid at the uh, Super Bowl yesterday, and I was like, "His kid is about 18 now." Yeah, and it is upsetting. It's like seeing Paul Rudd from the past. Very weird in the present. All right, so uh, yeah, so those were my little weird 1980s trivia. The other thing I, I will say about this movie is that I cannot hear the opening line, the opening bars of talk show host, which is that Radiohead song. Yeah, without immediately just being like, "I'm done. I'm 16. Sorry, <laughs> I can't have a reasonable conversation about anything right now. Let's wait for the song to end." Oh my gosh. No, um, almost no songs I can think of have that power over me. I have, I have one tiny bit of trivia, which you probably already know, oh. but there was somebody who was almost cast as Juliet before Claire Danes. And Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. And luckily they saw Natalie Portman and Leonardo DiCaprio together and realized that's not okay because she was 13. Seriously, she already made the professional at this point. Don't mm. you think somebody in her life should have been looking out? I know. Like, hey, how about we wait on romantic movies for her a little bit? And while thank while. God that they like all did realize. Yes. That, that, that would like, have been she said <laughs> she said it looked like he was molesting me when we kissed. And he does not look that old, but he was gonna look old next and, to Natalie Portman. And he's so tall thinking. and she's yeah, tiny she is a teeny, as a tiny little grown person. person. What did yeah. you say? He's a, he is. I mean, she's a tiny little person. She's a tiny person, and at thirteen, she would have been a tinier person. I just, I don't know. I, I feel like they were like, who's famous? <laughs> like that's how. Well, they were and to Juliet cast is thirteen. It's true. That's the true. Play. That's. So, I mean, that's established. Like, which that's is not upsetting. Just like that's not just extrapolation. Like the play is like she'll be fourteen soon, and you're like, mm-hmm. ah. Um, but yeah, with the other casting, and I think Claire Danes really was like fifteen when she when she got probably when cast. she was cast yeah because she mm-hmm. was only 13 or 14 when she filmed the pilot for my so-called life wow um but claire danes claire is danes. claire danes is one of those actresses who um has always had sort of like the very mature screen presence mm-hmm. yes um and i admired her so much in my so-called life like i wanted my hair to be the color of angela's hair yeah like i just i but like i think part of what i was responding to was that like even playing this teenager whose life is in some ways falling apart you didn't feel like she was like ever going to just completely lose it. Like yeah. it was, and that's how she feels as Juliet where like, she's like, let me point out some logical inconsistencies with um, your proposal here. Romeo. Yes. Let's like, let's chat this through. Um, and even now I watch her and I'm like, she's, she's always been an actress who will be ugly on screen, which is very unusual. I know. I love that about her so much. Like when she cries, when she realizes that Romeo really is dead and she has that like one sob. Her ugly cry face. Oh my God. And it's well, like, and even, oh like, my God. Um, I long, the, I long to die speech. Oh, oh uh, she's so good. Okay. We're just yep. fanning. Uh, anyway. Okay. Uh, but you did know <laughs> that she was actually offered Titanic, right? Yes. I read that last night. And she turned and it, it was down. going to be. Isn't that weird? Yes, and it was and going she, to be 
Leo and Claire, and Claire Danes in Titanic, but she was like, that would be weird. We just did that. We just and- did this. And apparently she didn't love working with Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. Like apparently she thought he was kind of immature, which is, he was like 20. So yes, yeah, probably. And she's like, <sighs> she's so mature for like forever. <laughs> she's always been that way. You just, can tell. She was not enjoying, but um. So uh, now, of course, because we've had Titanic with Kate Winslet our whole lives, like it's hard to imagine with anybody else. I'm like, thank um, but God, yeah. even if I don't love Titanic, thank God that the whole world knows who Kate Winslet is and kept yes. giving her things to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's actually fascinating to me that Kate Winslet has never been in, look at my, look at my smooth segue, has never been in a Pride and Prejudice. She has, of course, done Sense and Sensibility. Beautifully. Um. And I feel like if we wait a little bit longer, she Where would she be really quotes fun. Shakespeare, incidentally. Yes, incidentally. I know um, that song. I feel like she could play Mrs. Bennett in a few Ooh, years' yeah. time and be very fun. Like that it'd would be a be fun good. take on Mrs. Bennett. Um, but so obviously there's been lots of Romeo and Juliet. I think Romeo and Juliet is actually the most filmed play ever, possibly, I read somewhere. Is it? Yeah. Um, okay. But Pride and Prejudice is one of the most filmed novels um one of the most adapted novels um and so we were very like let's stick to the 2005 Kira knightley one which has become sort of like the 21st century it's like the definitive one yeah the one because like for previous generations if you don't already know this the 1996 bbc miniseries was kind of like considered it like we have done it we will never need another pride and prejudice and it's great and then and it is it's great it's very comprehensive obviously it's like it's able to be it's six hours long um (laughs) but when the 2005 one i remember when we saw the previews for it thinking like why do we need this there's already like a perfect pride and prejudice um, and several imperfect Pride and Prejudices. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to see it and I was like, oh, it's so okay. beautiful. Yeah. So so obviously, kind of like with Romeo and Juliet, I don't think we necessarily need like a plot summary of Pride and Prejudice. Because even if you've never read it or ever seen it, so many things are clearly influenced by Pride and Prejudice at this point that you can use like Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Darcy as like shorthand for like rom-com character tropes. Um, I mean, there was like a YouTube series modernizing Pride and Prejudice in the early 2000s. Like it was kind of everywhere for most of our lives. But um, if you're totally clueless. Yes. <laughs> clueless being a, another adaptation of a thing. Um, we've got another Elizabeth Bennett, who's our main character, and she is one of five daughters. Yeah, daughters. she's the second of five daughters and to a family of you know they have means. money but not as much as they used to and they're not going to get any more right and um, their daughters need to be married off um to financially stable people so that they will not end up destitute which is what would right. happen <laughs> right because um when their father dies the girls can't inherit the estate it goes right. to their cousin mr collins so they will have nowhere um, to live unless they find other relations to live with so the, the stakes are actually pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to the storytelling, um, the the text, if you've never read Pride and Prejudice, is very funny. Yes. And I think people often don't know that about Pride and Prejudice because we look at costume dramas. And Joe Wright's version, the 2005 version, has some humor in it. It's definitely not humorless. Um, I actually don't think the two thousand the nineteen ninety six is very funny, which is interesting. That's too bad. Um, 
I think it has a couple moments, but the this, the narrator of Pride and Prejudice is so sarcastic. And the entire <laughs> thing is basically social commentary on how ridiculous it is that women have to get married. Yes. That's the entire basic premise of Pride and Prejudice. Um, of course, it's also kind of joking that eventually Elizabeth does get married. And it's a question of like, how seriously do we take this marriage? Like, because she turns this rich guy down when she thinks he's just miserable and awful, but then she sees his house. (laughs) (laughs) Like chapter 43 of the book is one of my favorites because essentially there's like two lines in that that are basically like, Kimberly's pretty great. Maybe she made a mistake. (laughs) I love when she sees it for the first time in the movie. She's like, does this little like, like, yeah, like a little giggle, like, what? what the hell um and and like that she could have been mistress of all this um but the idea that elizabeth does decide to marry is you know some people have read that as a betrayal other people have read that as like a happy ending um this movie is very much a romantic take on pride and prejudice like it's very mm-hmm. much interested in the idea that um we can investigate these people's feelings and see how they misunderstand each other and and hope for the sort of eventual marriage plot resolution and opposed to being disappointed by it or like not being willing to buy in um and it's very dreamy Mm -hmm. like it's it's all light colors and sunsets and sunrises and like fog on the moors like it's a really beautiful movie um but so yes so pride and prejudice um lizzie bennett is probably one of the most famous heroines of 19th century literature i would say yep. she's up there with like jane eyre and, and any anyone the brontes wrote um and she is smart and she is quick-witted although sometimes she's not quite as smart or quick as she thinks she is and the book is kind of very clear about sometimes lizzie sort of messes up um and she meets mr darcy at a ball in their little rural town um and they immediately have sort of disdain for each other yes um darcy in this one is played by matthew mcfadden so he's coming up after the colin firth darcy's of the previous decade or two what do you think about him as darcy i think come back to lizzie i think he's wonderful and funny enough i it had been so long since i had seen this movie and like i know he's in it but i'm like not thinking about this on a daily basis right right (laughs) and then i watched all of succession Mm -hmm. and it did not occur to me that this guy in succession was mr darcy wow didn't occur to me and i'm like holy wait a minute he's that dreamy handsome broody guy (laughs) oh and I think that the accent helps a lot because <laughs> and, the, and the clothes and the hair because mm-hmm. he's so you haven't seen Succession. Is this correct? I have not. Still? Okay. That's... Because he just plays like corporate American douche, basically, in Succession. <laughs> okay. um, and not even particularly interesting one. He's like the dull guy. Um, OK, what is so... this character's name? Because in my head, I keep referring to him in my head as Tom Bombadil, which I know is wrong because that's like a Tolkien thing. It is Tom. But it's like Tom something long and uh, yes. sort of unwieldy, um, right? Yes. Oh, gosh. I can't remember. Oh, Tom, what is your last name? It's like name? a W. Um, Wamgans. But it, it doesn't feel like not Tolkien, right? Like it feels like Tom Bombadil is <laughs> yeah, not. I guess it does. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> uh, Wamgans, I think. I think it's Wamgans. Okay. Okay. okay but anyway um so i think he's wonderful in this role um in pride and prejudice and 
um his like the kind of flatness of his facial expressions yeah. and his um like embodiment of the character he like barely moves and the way he delivers his lines and doesn't make eye contact i think it's all really i think it's all really well done and who knows mm -hmm. how much of that was his choice and how much was the director's choice but i think it, i think it works really well especially when you get to later on when you're like oh he's in love with her and you're like how can this be we're not seeing any signs of any of this but he feels kind of just socially blocked or something yes and so you can kind of believe that this is there it's just behind this kind of like shield that he's got on or something right yes um, i mean like when we the the title of the book pride and prejudice I, so trivia originally she titled it first impressions right oh. that was the original um working title for the book and pride and prejudice is uh, famously people are like he's who's proud who's prejudiced he is prejudiced right like um but what i really like about his performance is that you can see how first glance it looks like pride he looks mm -hmm. completely cocky unwilling to condescend to these rural folks not interested Except he's also so deeply uncomfortable that you can see, like, he's just keeping himself from fidgeting or mm -hmm. running away. Like, um, and it's a really impressive sort of balancing act, I think, that he does throughout the movie. Because the thing that often I think doesn't make sense is not just like, why would why would we believe that he's in love with Lizzie? Why would, why would she like him? Why would she like him? And also, like, why would Bingley? Mm-hmm. And in this one, you actually see like the affection between Bingley yeah. and him yeah. in a way that I think is really charming and sweet and often very subtle. Um, but Joe writes good at the little like tiny detail. Um, of course, the the moment that people love a lot it, besides the proposal is when he's helping Elizabeth into the carriage and she you see her make this face, but you can't see why until the camera pans down and you see that he's taken her hand. And then as he walks away, he sort of like flexes he, like, his flexes hand. Flexes his hand. It's such an interesting choice. Yeah, there's a close up on the hand, so you're like, well, that's important. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's that he doesn't seem comfortable ever. It's not just yeah. that he's judging everyone else; it's that he's a deeply socially awkward person. Yeah. Um, and so his kindness isn't immediately evident, but when you are given a reason to believe oh he's just awkward um then the other stuff seems to fall into place i think it works mm -hmm. really well right so our our star though is kira knightley yes uh who originally the studio did not even want to see for this role because they thought she was too pretty she okay. said this multiple times in interviews because she's like, and then I went in to audition and they were like, oh, never mind. Oh, she's fine. not too she's pretty. She's like, I'm not really sure how to deal with that piece of information, but thank you. Oh um, my gosh. And this is, I think, probably one of the roles that really helped to make people take Karen Knightley seriously as an actress because mm. she's just coming out of more sort of teen fare from like, and like the Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. I think the big thing she'd done before that. But uh so she's our center of this story. How do you think she does as Lizzie? I think she's wonderful. And I don't always love her. I find her a little bit um, insufferable sometimes. <laughs> um, but I think she's wonderful in this role. Um, I 
yeah, and I'm I'm not sure exactly how to put my finger on what she's doing that I particularly love, but um, I think she's got like she's stubborn and she's headstrong and she's opinionated and she's you know she doesn't always think you know she doesn't always speak tactfully in a way that might right. you know, save other people's feelings but she also has a real i think um softness and playfulness about her um uh, about how she is playing the role that i think counters that enough that you can really like her for those other things right mm -hmm. um because you could see like okay so the um the guy the the preacher guy who comes oh, mr collins thank you oh clearly he's awful right yes but just because he's boring right he's right. just really boring he doesn't do anything reprehensible he's not asking anything reprehensible of anyone this is what men are supposed to do in these situations is like show up with their money in their house and propose to one of the daughters who doesn't have those things and needs them that's how it's supposed to go and she is like making jokes at his expense that go right over his head at dinner, mm -hmm. but everybody else is catching them and maybe he's going to catch on. And you could see that she might be a little cruel, right? Yeah. Um, and do we want to root for someone who is being cruel? Not particularly. Um, so she's got, I think, find that balance between like smart and kind of um, barbed in the way that she is speaking to people, but also you can see just how kind and soft she can be. <clears throat> I think, I think um, that go ahead. She also is very physical in this role. Like mm. she's a very active actress in this performance and it yeah. makes sense, right? Cause Lizzie famously likes to walk everywhere, but mm -hmm. um, she, um, because she's, a, she's a, again, like we're talking about a fairly small human being. Um, she's able very to tall, take though. up space. She is tall. That's true. She's able to take up space in really interesting ways. And like the physicality of her, of her humor, especially, hmm. um, I think is really interesting because it's sort of in contrast to Darcy's stillness that you mentioned, like yeah. he's very self-contained and Lizzie is tend has a tendency to be a little bit more sort of outward right like right. Mm -hmm. it's harder for her to go through the paces of politeness but like she runs multiple times in the movie like she runs away from mr collins to you know she she's walking through the field reading a book like she's always moving yeah yeah um, and there's sort of a kinetic thing here where she's like you know uncomfortable in stillness in some way that she captures i think in this performance yeah it's also a nice contrast to her sister um oh yeah played by rosamund pike whose name i can never remember um, jane Thank you. And she's very still and quiet and subdued yes. and equally proper, smart, equally mm -hmm. smart and kind. But, um, you know, they just have kind of different outlooks on the world yeah. and their place in it and what they're willing to accept from other people and all of Rosamund that. Rosamund Pike is so beautiful in this movie. She really is. It's really kind of like and you could tell Joe Wright was in love with her. They were engaged for a little while. Oh, wow. Um so this is the way the camera is mm -hmm. like in the light on her face. Um, she just looks angelic in scenes because yeah, she's she got does. all that blonde hair and the white dresses. And you're just like, wow, look at her. She's got a halo. Um, and it's great casting, too, with the other sisters mm -hmm. because she's the only blonde. And then you have uh, Lizzie and then Mary, Kitty and Lydia. Uh, the only American in the entire movie is Jenna Malone playing Lydia. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and she and Carrie Mulligan are spend the entire movie basically giggling. Giggling. Like yes. just constant giggling. Um, and Tallulah Riley plays Mary. And the most fascinating thing about her is that she used to be married to Elon Musk. So um, she's actually very glamorous in real life. So really to sort of tone her down for Mary is really interesting. And they have such lovely tender moments with Mary. Mm-hmm. This movie really, you can tell somebody was like, listen, Mary gets the short end of every stick. Like let's let her be. Let's show her humanity like, a little bit here. Yes. Because she's just like this, like she's a stick in the mud, right? Yes. She's, so, she's a stickler and she doesn't have any fun. And she, and she is also boring and wants to read the sermons and have the sermons read to her. And the fact that Mr. Collins doesn't even notice her is this know. deep sadness. Like, yes. Um, and all of this comes back to like the, the five of them have like very natural rapport, like the, the, sisterly sort of like feeling the way they react to each other and how they talk over each other i really love but it also comes down to having cast donald sutherland as mr bennett who is who's also american mr bennett yeah that's right you're right the only american sister i guess i should have said yeah um he uh he's too nice right like this is too soft a take (laughs) on the book character And yet, I can't help but kind of love it. I love how he just, you can tell, you can tell that he realized he was outnumbered and overpowered years ago. Yeah. And that's just the way that it is. And he's going to just try to stay out of the way as much as possible. (laughs) I mean, because in the book, there's a a real streak of meanness to him, which is where Lizzie gets it, right? The two Mm. of them understand each other. She's sort of... But the book, the narrator makes this really scathing description of why he married Mrs. Bennett in the first place. Hmm. And it's basically, well, she was pretty. And now, turns out she's also kind of an idiot, you know. Uh, Brenda Bletham plays a a smarter than usual Mrs. Bennett, I think, too. Hmm. um, Because she's wily. Um, Yeah, yeah. And you also see her as a, like, very sort of, like, she's kind of horny. Like, (laughs) yeah. Um, and so you're like, okay, well, these two people maybe don't have a great intellectual match, but they appreciate each other's qualities. Other qualities. In a more general sense. Um, but because you have a sort of like slightly shifted take on Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, I think that that helps with how we understand the dynamics between their daughters. Mm, So I think, um, trivia, uh, Joe Wright actually had them play hide and seek in the house. Oh, funny. Uh, for like a week they were doing these like games and stuff before they started rehearsing and actually recording and his whole goal was to get to a place where they had this sort of natural chemistry where they felt like a family on screen and um i think it worked yeah they feel it feels very kind of um I don't know. Their family feels very lived in, right? Not yes. just the space, but their relationships with each other. Like they're very, they're on top of each other in this house, yes. which is, I mean, it's not a tiny house, but there's a lot of them. Right. And Five daughters. <laughs> right. And it's not a culture and a time where everybody just goes off to their own space. You spend time in the same room together, right? So yeah. they're on top of each other all the time. And they feel like, it feels like a pack of puppies in there or something. Yes. Um, <laughs> well and, yeah. and that also is nice because like Lydia's 15 like mm-hmm. yeah they're young yeah um 
And so it just is sort of believable. And then it's such a nice contrast when we do meet Lady Catherine and we see her, Ugh. her house and her stuff and her just general sense of like, this is how we should be, right? Oh like gosh. very imposing performance by Dame Judy Dench. Whew. I My favorite line in the whole movie might, might come from her when she says um, that, Oh, okay, so we're going to talk about the piano forte. And does uh-huh, she play it? Uh-huh. she's like, I don't play. But if I had <laughs> ever learned, I would have been a great talent. It's like, yeah, what? That doesn't make any sense at all. I love that so much. She's just like, if I had if I The learned. arrogance of it. If I had ever Her- tried, I would be the best. So obviously Judy Dench is amazing. And I think we are all collectively aware that Judy Dench can act. Um, but one of the things that's really great about this particular performance is that she takes these very studied pauses Mm. and she's just like let me say half the sentence and then keep you in suspense and so she's offering um to mrs collins who is lizzie's best friend charlotte um the use of her piano forte she says you'll be in no one's way in that part of the house and it's this like (laughs) what does that mean what the hell (laughs) and she's super judgy Yes, it's just really like these very like careful, I will put a very long pause here. Um, Judy Dench, this is one of the shortest performances ever nominated for a Best Supporting Actress, but of course oh. not as short as the one she won for in um, Shakespeare in Love. Judy Dench wow. is like the the model of this, right? Like of getting seven yeah. minutes of screen time and being like, throw me the awards. <laughs> That's right. Um, That's right. But so yeah, so like the the project the trajectory of the Lizzie Darcy romance um has I think always sort of you have to be sort of like willing to believe that he's gonna propose. Like mm-hmm. the proposal is sort of the the fundamental central moment. Um this proposal is incredibly moody. Normally it's like in someone's sitting room or something. Right. This one everyone is knows outside. it's happening. Yes. Very formal. He chooses to track her down in the rain in this weird, like, memorial columned building. Such a beautiful location. Yes, everything's around them. It's cliff overlooking like a river. It's beautiful. Yes, there's a river. She runs over the bridge. Um, I love this proposal. Of course. This is a very romantic proposal that gets incredibly wrong. Um, but it's because the words are all like wrong, but the chemistry between them is so good. Yeah. This is the single most chosen scene that my students would choose to to analyze for a project in my film class. They just would, wanted to be able every to watch it over and over single again. semester. I would have like five kids who were like, this one. And I was like, okay. You bewitched me. Yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. Body and soul. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But like, they just really, really love, I think, I think what I sort of narrowed it down to. They're like, somehow it looks like they're really close together, but they're not. And this is true. Like the way that the the cuts happen, it seems like they are on the verge of a makeout session. Like, it just seems like they are so intimately close to each other. And then you get this weird cut away and you realize that they're standing appropriate several feet apart. I had not ever thought of that, but that's, yo, that's well, great. Well, you ask yeah. several dozen sets of high, of college students to tell you things about their favorites right. in the movie, they will notice. I would not take credit for that. Um, but the idea that they're, like, it's capturing, like, 
this growing attraction, but also the original problems are still there. And it's raining. It's raining. They're dripping. Yes. Why is that so great? I don't know. <laughs> like, what is it about like dozen college students? Um, what is it yeah. about putting the romantic leads like in the rain that makes it so more romantic? It's so much more romantic. I don't know. Especially Throw them in some like, water, and suddenly, most, you know, the it's famous sexier, thing from the 1996 movie but... is that Colin Firth dives into the water and gets out of the the lake and walks around with a t-shirt like a wet shirt not a t-shirt <laughs> they didn't have those yet but he's like walking around in like his wet clothes that's like the most famous scene from the yeah. 1996 miniseries to the degree that they've put like a really terribly done statue of colin firth in a lake in england oh my gosh that's too funny <laughs> it's really bad you have to look this guy up later because the I face wrong. is horrifying like, wrong. It's... oh my gosh uh, but so I feel like a little bit it's like, ah, it's Pride and Prejudice. Let's get them wet. I don't know. <laughs> What's yeah. Happening? Oh, it's, I, I need to think about this. Like, and it's, not, I mean, certainly not the only movie that. Puts no, that's the true. Couple rain in the rain. Is a, yeah. Rain is a, a place where, especially a lot of British, I mean, it rains a lot. So sure does. maybe that's part of what we're dealing with here. Um, but I can think of some, some pretty sturdy British rom-coms in particular that have moments of declaration in the rain. There's lots of that. I mean, I feel like um, the Notebook. There's a scene in oh the rain. Oh my god! Yeah, Spider-Man. The they kiss in the rain. They're kissing in the rain. Yeah. There's so much rain. <laughs> I mean, huh. just it's like it's probably sex Jason. somehow. I don't. It's yeah. It's, that's what I'm guessing. Um, yeah. But of course, she turns down the the insulting proposal as she should because it's not a good proposal. Um, but when they're reunited, this is where I think that that's always like the real challenge is like, first, you have to believe that he proposed, and then you'd have to believe that they can somehow come back from her rejection. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this focuses on um, the character. I was going to say Willoughby, but that's wrong. That's the wrong Austin. Um, the friend. Yeah. The guy no. who, no, not Bingley. Not the um, friend. The enemy. Um, um the soldier oh my guy. gosh why can't i remember his name wickham wickham other w guy um so wickham having lied to lizzie about how he and darcy fell out the cad said, yes saying that you know he'd been promised by darcy's father who loved him this uh that he could be he would have the the cleric role that he wanted he was going to join the clergy mm-hmm. and darcy upon hearing this accusation is like okay but no let me write you a pleasant letter that explains that wickham's a big fat liar right. who not only didn't want to become a clergyman but also tried to force my sister to elope with him mm-hmm. so he could have her inheritance he and then money away and all of it yes he's, he's just a, more. He's, yes he's a complete cad um and lizzie and he have had this very sort of like flirtatious relationship mm-hmm. although lizzie i think is realistically sort of like he's probably not for me right yes. like there's not really the sense that lizzie is like hopelessly in love with wickham but no just that, like, she's like mildly interested he's fun yeah, to be around he's fun he's a change of pace he's more pleasant than mr darcy to, to chat with yes um when lydia gets sort of whisked off with she's her, an idiot her yes and his her father doesn't realize how much of damage an idiot can do um she ends up eloping with wickham and this is one of those things that when you're teaching this book to a group of 21st century college students there's a lot you have to be like listen like 
this is not just Lydia making a bad decision. Like right. this is socially destroying her entire family. And she's got four sisters whose reputation are going to be affected by this. And like, you really have like such a, such a massive, like how do you capture the stakes? Because right. they're so different from now. And like the importance of a woman's virginity, like just the idea that women were being like that somebody's going to have to pay Wickham to marry her. Like mm-hmm. all of this stuff I know is a lot. And because we are not living in the early 1800s, like it doesn't, it doesn't read that way to us now. And so I think even in this movie, I'm not sure it comes across why it's such a big disaster. Yeah. Um. But the idea that like somebody's going to have to throw a lot of money at Wickham to get him to marry Lydia, who is frankly the worst. She is um, the worst. But it's like even then, like just dealing with the unfairness of that ridiculous equation, yeah, is hard. Like she's she's a punishment now. Like you have she's her job. Like what is, it's just the yeah. take on marriage, right? Um, and of course, Darcy secretly fixes everything. Mm-hmm. And is never going to tell Lizzie, right? He tells Lydia not to say anything. Um, but when it's revealed that he's the one who fixed it, obviously Lizzie's like, never mind, I've seen Pemberley. And he's also like, turns out not a horrible human being. So he's actually pretty great. Mind, mind changed. Like, um, so when Bingley comes back, having learned from Darcy that that Jane does love him, they should be together. Uh, he comes to propose to Jane and then Darcy is there, but not really fully like engaging with, with Lizzie. And it's like, Oh, hope are they going to get together? And like, that's when, you know, you really bought in where you're like, I want my independent heroine to get married. Like, I know, I know. <laughs> how I know. dare he not propose to her? Well, um, I mean, if you're able to put yourself in the kind of perspective of the time period, it's all lovely and wonderful to think about her living an independent life, but that's not yes. a thing. Not that's really so much a thing. A thing. <laughs> but having turned down Mr. Collins, we've seen like the, the bullet she dodged in that particular scenario, but she does it in a way that's kind of like, oh, you're, you're not good enough for me. Like, yeah, not, like I'm never going to get married, but I'm not going to marry you. Definitely not. Um, I love when her friend comes and is like, oh, this is scene. the reality of my life. And how dare you judge me for it? And just leaves. I'm like, yeah, go you. Because like, who wants to marry that guy? Not even her. Oh, but God, she's going to. Can you to. imagine that poor actor walking around with that haircut for several months? Like, you know. <laughs> and then when Lizzie goes to visit her at their house and she's just like escorts her to the room is like no one will bother us here doesn't even doesn't even really acknowledge his existence right and she's like oh i get to run my own household and he won't bother us here and actually it's turned out just great yeah she's got exactly what she needs but this is is a sacrifice that she is willing to make because look at what she has gained and she's Um, thrilled with it in one of those weird Facebook knows my life too well situations yesterday, I saw a meme on Facebook and there was a, a cake decorated with like, you know, sprinkles and stuff. And on the top, it said it was like a checklist. Mm-hmm. Like, I am. And it was like um, 27 years old, frightened, 
parents burden <laughs> like, and it was like uh, little x's and checks next to each one from charlotte's already speech. a burden to my parents, parents. Yeah. um and charlotte's great i think the actress who plays charlotte is so charming and lovely yes um because with all of these 19th century books that are like and gosh this character's hideous right like you're like how do you cast a character whose most dominant feature is her it's not pretty um but the charlotte is really she's quite charming and she's she is a little older you can see mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. um but she and lizzie have a very natural sort of friendship you can see the humor yeah. between them i just really love how how natural a lot of the things in this movie are made to be mm-hmm. because it contrasts with our idea that everything is weirdly formal and mm-hmm. everyone's sort of like you know automatons walking around only behaving the right way yeah um, and instead you see lots of human moments and like yeah. little flashes of affection and i love the way that i mean and this has been talked about a million times in reference to this movie but i love the way that the, these long tracking shots yes like reveal that these beautifully if you haven't seen the film there are these beautifully choreographed incredibly complicated long shots that sometimes go on for like three minutes yes. and through multiple rooms and yes. all around and then they swing back and everybody is moving and they visit all it's like it's like there's a little drone that's kind of going around and visiting all these different <laughs> characters and and where are they and lizzie is moving over here and you see her say this thing and then she goes outside and and so you get to see all these little glimpses of people being human in these moments that aren't particularly significant right yes they're not all that important they don't drive the plot forward but they tell us a lot about who these characters are right yes. and the kinds of things that they say when they've had you know a couple of glasses of wine too many <laughs> um and they're bumping into people and spilling their desserts or whatever yes. <laughs> um you know the things they say to their friends at the party or the things that they say to this other person at the same party and it's lovely um and it could have been done some other way, um, but the way that the cinematography is um, is deployed in this movie to give us those moments makes it, as you say, feel so natural. Um, it's just very it, fly on the wall kind of. Yes, unobtrusive mm-hmm. because it it sort of adds to the more general sense that we're given um, sort of insights into something that normally wouldn't be noticed mm-hmm. yeah. um and so like the, again like the the humanizing of mary and mr bennett when she's been playing at the party and he sort of says like give one of the other girls a turn and she he's runs off crying and the camera keeps moving around and we come back to them and he comes over to comfort her and she starts you know i've been practicing all week and like he's hugging her and is so kind and human yeah but it's not a big showy moment it's just this thing you happen to notice as you're on your way back to the ballroom it's so it's so beautifully done um also lots of like beautiful shots of of, you know english countryside Mm -hmm. um the way the interiors and the like outside shots kind of complement each other yes this is a beautifully beautifully made movie yes well so the the culminating scenes lady catherine who has met lizzie did not find her suitable for Mm -hmm. her nephew darcy Comes to the house in the middle of the night to the damn night. In the middle of the damn night. To, to the the damn night. Say so that she will not be marrying Mr. Darcy because she's heard a rumor. And Mr. Darcy is supposed to marry Lady <sighs> Catherine's daughter Anne. Uh, they've been promised to each other since their childhood. Um, another thing that takes a lot of explaining to 21st century American college yep, students. Yeah. Um, 
There's also a whole bunch of complicated stuff in the book about entailments because Anne is going to inherit her mother's estate, but like the the none of the um, Bennett girls can inherit their father's estate. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on here with like the power of gender dynamics, and and Lady yeah. Catherine is like it's unusual for her as a woman to have money and power, and she's right. like I am going to use it, um, and you are not going to take any of that away from my family because it's all supposed to stay between my my sister's son and my daughter um and lizzie sort of stands up to her and is like i didn't start that rumor i don't know where you heard that rumor i'm not going to deny that i'm not going to say i'm never going to marry him and of course lady catherine goes straight to darcy again and she but also she kicks her out she also kicks her out leave bold Um, so bold and then she gets mad at her family which seems fair because they're all like lizzie and she's like shut up and runs upstairs <laughs> leave me alone <laughs> love it um, runs but, up the stairs and slams and the obviously door. now she can't sleep because things are dramatic oh um, yes so she wanders out into the foggy meadow walking just sort of in this beautiful blue dawn light sort of ghostly almost and you look up and glance across the field and here comes Darcy with the sun behind him marching towards her. It's uh, so pretty. It All is the light. Beautiful. Yes. Um, Joe Wright is really good with light because there are several scenes in this movie lit or seemingly lit only by candles. Yeah. And that's hard to do. It's very um, hard to do. But he's also like, look at all this great natural light. I'm going to use it. Um and so we get the proposal, which is essentially like, I still love you. And she's like, great. <laughs> like, yeah, it's very understated. Not lots of words. At some point, Darcy seems to have realized that language is not his friend. Yes. So <laughs> he's going to just take it back a little bit. But he writes um, well. He does write well. He he's definitely more comfortable so well. writing. Um, we see him ask for Lizzie's hand and he gives this like really sweet face when he's going in to talk to her father. And you're just like, oh, okay, she loves him. It's allowed. Like, that's okay. Yeah. Um, and instead of a wedding scene, which is what most Pride and Prejudices end with, mm-hmm. uh, mostly double weddings, right? So we see Bingley and Jane and Darcy and and Elizabeth all at the altar together. Um, here, they opted for a sort of wedding night scene, yes. but not sexy times, but like post-sexy times um because they're both in their night clothes sitting outside having this lovely little sweet conversation about what terms of endearment he's allowed to use yeah it's very lovely it is lovely the firelight is sort of flashing around them yeah i think it's it's like romantic in a very different kind of way um in in the kind of like weddings are romantic in terms of like love and romance and um affection and all of that but the way that this movie ends is romantic in the kind of um classical romance literature kind of yeah. terms in terms of like the heightened kind of um like use of light and scenery and emotion and it's not all like the reason this is a comedy is because it ends in weddings right like yes. our classical definition is romeo and juliet is a tragedy because people die at the end and this is a comedy <laughs> because people get married at the end and that's how you know um <laughs> what are we dealing with here a uh, comedy or a tragedy um but the way that this 
film has been kind of presented to us, a wedding at the end would be like way too kind of like high key sitcom y kind yes. of something. And we it needs to, see to Lizzie be in a, like a wedding dress. Like, no, it needs to be quiet and kind of interior. And it's, mm-hmm. um, and it, it kind of marries the interior exterior here at the end. Yes, because they're just like on the balcony outside. Anyway. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. It I is. remember being unprepared to like this movie. I thought, oh, we don't need it. It's unnecessary. And then I came out of the movie theater and I was like, it's a beautiful movie. Completely um, charmed. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Definitely. Um, so, yes. Big favorite. Big fan. Um, I was telling my husband, I was like, this week we're watching um, Romeo and Juliet and Pride and Prejudice. He's like, oh, so you picked the movies this week then. <laughs> I was like, actually, no. Like, so I funny. feel like this week sounds like Sarah Strongarms Kim and they're making her watch her favorite no, movies. No, 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 no. These are actually like both um, movies that I I feel like it's always valuable to have a reason to come back to them with like a little bit less fangirl and a little bit more thinking. So I'm glad. Although I'm, I'm not sure if did we achieve that or did we just fail? I don't know. I don't we know. pretended to talk about <laughs> Shakespeare in an analytical way for a second there, I think. Um, <laughs> So next week, we're going to switch gears a little bit, and we are going to be tackling the theme of true love Mm -hmm. um, because we like wordplay. So we'll be watching two documentaries about love. Um, We'll be watching The Loving Story from 2011 Mm -hmm. and A Secret Love from 2020. Um, And then don't forget, we are reading Jeffrey Eugenides' um, The Marriage Plot for the last week in February, which is coming up faster than I feel like it has any business doing i know i know um well i very much enjoyed talking about these two movies yes me too we got talk show hosts we talked for a long time but yeah there may need to be some uh on that note yeah (laughs) it was great chatting it was wonderful talking to you (laughs) talk to you soon Bye. bye